0: My think Edith, I'm an
1: alcoholic.
0: It's really, it's really a pleasure to be in your company. Because uh, I know we've got a language of ours. Uh, and, and I've been treated so well sitting around tonight with Jody and Kelly and my husband and I drove up from Mama Hall and uh, we had a small accident with an 18-wheeler and I submitted our liability trouble to the committee so I wanted to tell the committee you'll be be looking for that. Thanks for having me come down. (laughs) But uh, it really is a pleasure to be here. It's my first time at your 19th annual Sunflower Roundup and what a pleasure. I see some people over here that I know from Omaha to my right. I'd like you to have very little to do with them. I know a lot about them. Oh, and to the first three rows, I give you my hello. Um, I can't tell you how how pleased I am to have this opportunity. Uh, I'm not a very good joke teller. Uh, like Mr. Bazan's is going to be tomorrow when you hear him but I did find this in the grapevine and it really applied to me the definition of an alcoholic bottom is when things get worse faster than you can lower your standards
1: <laughs>
0: I, got, I grew up in Alabama and, uh, and there, i we discovered all at Auburn, and I'm a warrior all the way. So uh, yeah, well here's one guy in the front, we may be a minority and we'll still stand up to you. but uh, uh, I grew up a little bit of similarity to a few towns in Kansas and maybe the whole state for a while, but where I grew up it was dry and we we would travel to the big area to get to the little week two good parents who did the very best they could in raising me which was a job they were unprepared for, I can assure you. Uh, but my folks taught me the difference between right and wrong. Uh, they had they had a lot of polar beliefs between themselves. My mother was a fundamentalist and my father was an Episcopalian. And, he was a descendant of Clarence Dara and Lucidaeus. Uh, and so they had different religious beliefs, political beliefs, economic histories. My mother was uneducated. My father had been educated. They were 12 years different in age. And they had a few disagreements, but they did share a refrigerator. And and I, had, I wouldn't have any. Have any of that been handled any differently, to tell you the truth. My parents had a moral code that they tried to impress upon me, but that escaped me. Uh, I believed in innately you have some kind of a conscience, and that I truly was, had a learned uh, sense of right and wrong from them, and I appreciate that. And I also had a belief system created in that environment where I grew up with my mother who took us to church and impressed upon us uh, that there was a God, and my father believed in God too. So, I didn't come to Alcoholics Anonymous, an agnostic or an atheist but a believer but just didn't believe that anything could be done to change my life. Uh, as I grew up, my, both of my parents drank and uh, we had a liquor cabinet in our house and you could go and purchase liquor at a state-owned store in other counties and bring home a specified amount. If you brought over that limit back to our county, you could be arrested for violating the prohibition law. I, I, un- unbelievable nearly, but I've been arrested for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> violation of the prohibition law, it sounds like a should be a much earlier uh, criminal event, but that was in the 70s in Alabama. Uh, So I saw my parents drinking. I I didn't have much to do with it when I was very young, but as I started getting a little older, it sounded like a good idea to me because I didn't uh, do too well, get along with folks and so forth. I, I was a little nervous, felt like my skin was on backwards, didn't much care for the rules and regulations my parents set out for me. And, uh, you know, when you get into that and have a, a few beers one night for the first time, i would had some wine and whiskey in my household. Uh, but I, I really appreciated that fact. I, I liked uh, uh, not being uh, as, as confined as I felt uh, before I tried listening and beer. Uh, And we would travel a little bootlegger or steal it from my daddy's cabinet. The bootlegger, of course, was a little discriminating and he didn't want to see you. (laughs) He'd just shoot your tires out and (laughs) all and so you better know him. And I had some folks that I ran around with who were familiar with those people. So I could go there and on Sundays we'd go to Triana, a small town outside of where I live, and uh, get beer. You know, those those folks came to know me so I could purchase it before I was of age. And uh, and there were a few times when you could get in the state store and they'd be a little forgiving to you even if you weren't old enough. Uh, But I was drinking and you know how things go. It's just like this this deal on the rate line where things come along and you've got some kind of a standard that you had for your behavior or value system that you for trying to accommodate, and it just gets a little too difficult. You know, I had some standards that I wasn't gonna uh, steal from people, rob their homes, sleep with men i never met, Uh, you know, wake up in towns where I had to go out and read the street sign and wasn't familiar with. Uh, I was in a number of car accidents, Boat accidents, uh, motor accident, accidents. One uh, time I was in a train accident. <laughs> and, and I'm telling you that with a little with a cavalier attitude that I, when I was 17 and drinking, and uh, we'd been taking to Percaban, and, and you know I used to start out drinking at 10, and then by uh, 2 or 3 in the morning, and when you started at 10 a.m., It's, uh, things get away from (laughs) you. And, uh, the unfortunate part of that story was that there was a woman with me in the car. And, uh, she was injured. Uh, She had a head injury, which was, uh, could have been rather severe. Instead, uh, she is recovered. She tells me now when she drives over the train tracks she hears a lot of dingin in her head but Other than that, other than that she said she's fully recovered but she and I were in intensive care for, for a long while I guess for four weeks I was. I, I cut my throat and my larynx and My husband and I were in Alabama for Christmas and we were with a, a gentleman who's the son of the surgeon who before the surgery when they brought me in after this train accident and he said and my father told me that was the most severe wounds in the neck collected he'd seen and he uh, had done the surgery on me and i told him of course i'm, I'm particularly glad your daddy <laughs> came to the hospital so quickly and saw after me and, and uh, had the talented hands to repair that uh, but that's how it went for me. I, I was in uh, every time I get drunk up, I'd always think I could drive, and it just didn't seem to be the case. and Got picked up when I was younger, and uh, in Alabama, uh, they come and take the tags when I lost the car. And you get it uh in Nebraska. Uh, I just kept on driving. Nobody came and got my tags. and uh, After I got sober, my sponsor said, well, you know, uh, you can't drive. You know, I'm driving I said, well, nobody will know. You know, I've got, they didn't take my tags, and I've got a lot of things to do. He said, well, you just can start doing them on the bus line. And uh, so, uh, but um, uh, I'm... that's when things started getting honest. You know, you know about that? Where you gotta get honest. Uh, before I got honest uh, in Alabama, I uh, had a few arrests and uh, had a had a bad time with my family. Dishonored my parents a lot. I mean, a small town of forty thousand, like where I came from. Uh, it's always unsettling for your father to be sitting in church by the judge who sent you the night before. And that's, and that's something that happened to my father uh, and my mother. Uh, I was in the newspaper. Uh, when I was school at Auburn, I was uh, picked up and on some you ways know, that some narcotic doctors did. I mean, and I was in the newspaper. Uh, It was not a, it was not a pleasure to tell anybody I was your daughter. I had uh, men that I went out with, their folks say we prefer you not to come over and see our son or or dating, and I always thought that was supposed to be the other way around, (laughs) but it it wasn't in my case. Uh, So I caused a lot of turmoil to my parents, my mother was very kind hearted, you know. She was the one who'd always uh, hoped that things would change. She was an eternal optimist. And she cried at my feet one day when I was probably in uh eighteen and nineteen. By this time I had been, uh, I drank as often as I could and you know, I still managed to have some grace that we should have gone high school unbelievably, but I did it uh, but I'd gotten in with some guys and they were breaking into drugstores and, and we were, uh, you know, when that comes around and you're kind of going that way, you don't want to see much of your folks. And, and I didn't. I stayed away from my family and they didn't know where I was except when uh, it was reported to them and, or I'd come around for money. But my mother was pretty distraught at this time and she, she came. Down on her knees one time, and said, "I'll do anything to help you. What, what can, what can I do?" Uh, and I told her, "I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't think there was uh, any help to be had by me. I didn't understand what was wrong with me." And as time passed, I, I would have a few jobs now and again, and I worked on a dairy farm with one of my old buddies from Alabama. Her fourth or fifth stepfather on the dairy farm, and. Uh, she had a rowdy family out there in Trinity, Alabama and she was a great woman, I see there today. And, uh, and uh, she's tough boy, Richard and I saw Christmas and she dragged him a lot. And, anyway, she was in the bar with another gentleman I know and they were kind of getting it odds. And my husband came out and said, my money's on Jane. <laughs> 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 but, uh, a great woman. And, you know, you feel like you, I do at least, I still go back home and uh, see some folks that I used to know and some of them turn up to that I thought and The ones that don't, and when I see them, you think, uh, you may be the only example of the good book that they ever see. So you better be, uh, your actions ought to match that idea. I, I know mine don't always. Uh, particularly when I came in the hotel room tonight with a briefcase of all my unpaid bills that I was planning on covering as uh, the weekend passed, which is a uh, character defect of mine, procrastination. Uh, I got a lot to work on. I got this daily recruit. If I don't remain current in my sobriety, talking to my sponsor, telling you the truth about my life, uh, that, that my husband and I the other day when it was snowy, and I came to get after him to help me get my car out and we were kind of cussing a little at each other out in, out in the yard at 7 a.m. My neighbor walked by and he said, uh, well, I saw y'all out there this morning trying to get the car out, you know. He said, but I didn't want to get involved. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we're both warriors and so we can really swing them, you know, back and forth. And, uh, uh, he's right, and let me take you own and if you're not listening, I'll remind you really loudly. Uh, so I've got a lot to work on in my sobriety. But I meet with my sponsor once a month, and uh, she see uh other than that. But we sit down, and we talk about uh, those things that I need to tell her about. And I bring my journal, and I go over with her uh, test steps and tell her, here's what I resent, here's what, I, here's what I've been doing wrong. Uh, here's what my life's like today. And that's important to me. Uh, but it passing, passes uh, back in my earlier days. I'm, I'm not getting it. I'm living with men and they're thinking I'm mentally ill because of the way I act. Uh, I'm trying to go to school with Auburn and I was reporting to you a little bit about working on the dairy farm. That was the hardest work I've ever done. <laughs> the Blue Farmers here tonight, my hat's off to you. Uh, because I went back to my daddy and said, listen, I really think college might be an idea for me. <laughs> <laughs> let, me let me try again. And I went to school with Auburn and I've been to a couple other colleges before that. I went to school at Auburn and uh, and things really deteriorated there. Uh, if you've ever been down to the Auburn campus, it's just beautiful. But there's a lot of chicanery over at Gentilly Trailer Park. Uh, is where I spent a lot of time. And uh, thirteen thirteen like 13 a open highway. And uh, a lot of uh, uh, people who were authority figures knew about uh, the places where I spent my time. And, uh, and Harry's Bar was not far from where I lived and uh, Harry's Bar then was close when the sun rose and I could walk about 50 feet from my house to Harry's and I went there a few times in my bathrobe and uh, just, I didn't have time to get dressed <laughs> and, uh, Uh, my, the gentleman I was seeing then, who's <laughs> probably forgotten my name or wishes the had, but anyway, he's uh, actually a gentleman who I had to go make amends to. Uh, a gentleman named Tim, a really bright man who's an engineer of NASA. And boy, I'm sure he looks back and thinks, how did I ever stay tangled up with her for any, any length of time? but. Uh, we'd be fighting out there in front of Harry, just about a year two, three times a week, when the sun was coming up. Uh, and I'd have, you know, sometimes I'd get on to him, and I'd get out, of, out on the street and beach hike and I remember some poor gentleman, some poor lad, he and I went off for a while, he drove me back up to where Tim and I were living, and Tim came out and just knocked the guy out. You know, broke his nose. Poor guy was just giving me a ride, you know, because, I mean, if you hung around with me, you're at risk. And that's the way it went. Because I was uh, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic, I loved drinking Jim Boone, always did. Nothing like it when I get in the car, I'd be traveling from Auburn back to Decatur, four hour drive, fifth of Jim Beam and a Coca Cola. And there was nothing more perfect than that to me. It's got a lunar skin of you, as loud as it would go on the, on the, the set back then, uh, playing Sweet Home Alabama. And, and that whole idea of getting back to where you came from, knowing you were going to be out on it, on the, on the line, you know, on the edge for four or five days, or getting into a coma, which is where I like being. It just thrilled me. I loved it. I loved drinking. I loved uh, some of the other things that I participated in. Uh, Taking drugs. I adored it. I'm here to tell you today that had I maintained that lifestyle, I'm fairly certain I'd be dead. And my sponsor reminds me of that all the time. If life is fair, you'd be dead. And to let go of a friend like that was one of the hardest things it was, the hardest thing, that I've ever known. And if you're new in the night and that's something you're nervous about, I'm telling you, take a chance with us. Take a chance with some groups in Kansas City. Take a chance with somebody you meet here or not. Because you may not get a second chance. You know, when that opportunity comes, and you're desperate, and those two events intersect, Nobody can give you that. It's providential in my opinion. And you may not get two of them. So if you've got that chance, then take it, try it. It may be the most frightening event that you've ever done, but take the risk. If it ain't working the way you're doing it, try it. Because I'm telling you, I shook every step of the way and I tried it over and over and over. And in 87, I got sober finally and that was after uh, a series of events and uh, down in Auburn they finally came around and you know uh, came in and, you know how it goes on your birthday is your birthday starts about a week before and goes on a week later and <laughs> a bunch of uh, you know married a all my house and we've been up for two or three days and Drinking and so forth, and so they come around with a no-knock warrant and wanna, of course, wanna visit me. <laughs> and I had a back, back window in my back bedroom, and I tried to get out of there, but uh, they were around the house, and it was a pretty far, significant drop-off because the house was on a ledge, built, the foundation wasn't level, and I, and I was. uh unclosed. So I, I, I saw women of officers who I'd met before and he said hey, get back in the house. <laughs> uh, like, But we climbed back in the and anyway, as things go, I had some pretty serious charges. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that was more significant than things have been before. I I've been in jail and all, but not for any length of time and just for night. And uh, so I was a little concerned and I went out for the lawyer and he said, Listen, I've read all the history on you and he said they've been watching you for a long time and they've done surveillance us. you're gonna be in some trouble, you got a judge who's older and he's conservative and you better do whatever they you know, anything you can to show reading on patient. Uh, so my father, about this time, had been, uh, my mother was an alcoholic, she's now deceased from drinking. And uh, he'd had her up in a hospital in, up in Nashville, Tennessee, a mill hospital. And so he, he, uh, he and my brother came to get me in down in Auburn. And I'd listened to what the lawyer had said, but I wasn't that interested. Not about mom and I was out on Mama kindness I'd taken over the pharmacy, which sounded like a good idea. And uh, my father and my brother came around to, to Auburn with a gun and a pair of handcuffs. And uh, tracked me down through some people. Uh, really a uh, difficult tracing uh, to, to track me down because I was in a summer home out in the woods. And there's some rural parks around Auburn and uh, they found me my father said you're, you're coming with us so we're going to handcuff you and uh, he said and that's the way it's going to be and, and my brother had a gun and they put me in the car and said they didn't know the I stayed in Nashville where my mother and I both were residents <laughs> and uh, and I, I knew was one considerable piece of information And that was that I didn't believe I was mentally ill at at a level where my roommate was. She was, uh, and that's not to make any life of mental illness. But she was uh, electrically shocked about three times weekly and uh, very depressed. And we would be in the, we took, you know, classes and made the, uh, you know, shoes with the, and I know this guy shaking his head and must have been up to his fingers. And he saw he sew up those moccasins, you know, leather right crap. I think they were any of the left. And if you're a tanner, that's a considerable skill, I never got it. But uh, I knew there that I didn't think I was I had a, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I didn't know that I belonged there. And we played uh, some sports there, uh, volleyball. And when you play volleyball, uh, we have a lot of folks who are medicated. There's nat- a lot of, <laughs> I had to run into the net and volley it back. did get the volley, they didn't get the volley going in volleyball. so anyway, I was up there like that for about six weeks or seven weeks, finally I told my psychiatrist was long tale about how I thought that uh passed and go home and visit my folks and all of might be a reasonable idea and he thought he was letting me out in the in the care and custody of my parents instead it was the old buddy mom from and I of course jettisoned out of there and never came back. My father told me not too long ago that he had uh he had really disputed that bill for a long time since I'd gone AWOL. and he told them he didn't want to pay it but I'm sure they probably got after him about it. But anyway, uh, he also told me not too long ago, I was, uh, my my mother's deceased, and my father remarried when he was about 70. And I had five stepbrothers and sisters who were just the greatest gifts I could have ever welcomed in our family. And my stepmother died of cancer in 1996. And, uh, uh, my father, knowing that she was going to die, was doing some work on his will because he had devoted uh, he to her some of his uh, uh, estate. And uh, he I found these life insurance policies that I was working with him. <laughs> and they were on my life. And then Larry, I guess you lost this one. He said, uh, well, that's one I wanted to lose, but he had three policies and my brothers as beneficiaries taken out on my 18th birthday. He was fairly certain that he'd be cashing in on
1: uh.
0: But anyway, after I left that mill hospital, I, I uh, continued on the road I was on, which was just chaos and disharmony to anybody could put up with me. And some of those things I violated where you've got that, that idea that, you know, this, you're not going any farther than this, and I did. You know, broke into a guy's house, uh, had these uh, uh, one-night events, and I did him know just so I could get him where I needed to be. Uh, you know, wind up hitchhiking, uh, lose your belongings, leave everything in because it did not matter that much to you, you just got to get out of town. Uh, and as time passed, uh, my my brother and my father again. My father's tired by this time because my mother's been to a number of hospitals and is tired of me and doesn't seem much of me, but it's tired. And the field's going down in Auburn, too, and, uh, and uh, they said, Well, listen, there's a place up in Minnesota where, where uh, they treat folks. And they asked for abstinence from drugs and alcohol. And I didn't... Sounds very interesting to me, but uh, they gave me some some medication. My mother was on and put me on a plane. And a gentleman picked me up, and ended up going to a hospital in Iowa, and then to a halfway house. And uh, still in stock, uh, but but I'm getting all those seeds. You know, you get all these seeds planted along the way: psychiatrists, judges, police officers, mental health care counselors, your parents uh priests preachers and uh so i'm getting a lot of seeds planters and in 1987 i i ended up in omaha after that one more gentleman threw me out uh and i still hear from him every year on my birthday and he calls me up and says are you still sober? and i say yes sir i am he lives in six city iowa and uh it was a pleasure to hear from him. I had to make amends to him. I had to make financial amends to him. And because uh, I, uh, I was inappropriate with credit cards that we had and I uh, started to pay him back. And after I got sober, and he had a daughter. And this is just to tell you how things go around. You know, if you stay sober, you'll get a chance to do something maybe for somebody else who's done it for you. This guy put up with me and I was, uh, uh was not faithful, was not honest. We was drinking every night, we'd come home sitting three days later, and he was kind enough to, to, he brought me an air conditioner. And I lived in South house. And he later let me move into a home in his mother. on me. And all he got back from me was, uh, uh, um, some And, uh, but anyway, his daughter got on some methamphetamine and almost died and she's was at a hospital. And uh, fortunately for me, it was in Omaha. And he told me, and said, uh, my daughter's up there in Omaha. This is probably 10 years ago and I've been sober since 1987. So I said, uh, well what can I do Bob?" And he said, well why don't you go around and see her and talk to her and I know you He's quit drinking, and he's quit, so um, I did. Took it up little lady, and uh, a very small piece of doing something else. But, you know, in Omaha, we always talk about you afford the big and boy can I. There's one of those chances when you get to big and you just say, thanks. Because uh, I owe that guy. I owe a lot of people. I can't ever give people back what they've given me, picking me up for meetings watching me bleed all over the floor after I got sober, spending time with me, uh, working the steps with me. I've had two great sponsors uh, who've taken time. And, uh, my sponsor today has my sponsor for 13 years. And uh, I, I, I really can't tell you how grateful I am to have her. She stood by me when I went to professional school, and I remember saying, listen Karin, I just don't have what it taste around here. These people have great education. I've got a felony and uh, five five colleges behind me. And they let me in by mistake. And, uh, uh, and and I'm on financial aid, so it didn't have anything to do with contributions from alumni. Uh, so how do I do this? And she'd tell me, why don't you go home and be your homework? And when they tell you you got to leave, then you can lose. But until then, you and I will get through this. And that may not be so significant to you, but i got to tell you, that was uh, critical to me. That somebody was standing with me, walking with me. I, I often felt like in my early sobriety, still today sometimes, that I'm, that I'm not capable of what I'm called on to do. It. When you got a sponsor, he's giving you her faith when you don't have enough. When you're asking a higher power to turn on the views because you need it and, and you know it's going to happen, even if you fail. Even if you fail, and I think I heard that from Mr. Mr. Benon, uh, you know, if you can't fail, you can't play. So you got to be willing to fail because it might happen to you, but you'll be able to get up. See, I didn't even want to try when I was getting drunk. Because I wanted you to think I had it all together. I didn't want you to know I didn't understand that game, or I'd never played it before, or that I was incompetent to do something. Well, hell, i would never been trained to do it. Of course I didn't know how. But I didn't have the time to go through the training. I wasn't willing to take the first step. You know how the journey of a million miles starts through the very first step? I didn't have that in me. I was a splinter. I was never in it for the long run. Alcoholics Anonymous told me to do it. Do it every day, do it every hour. I sat on my hands in early sobriety, And it helps when you're on house arrest. But after that, <laughs> after that, I sat on my hands and called people. I went up to the 48th Street Club in Omaha. And I was a red clown pajama top one time, saying, what do I do today? I don't know, because I was. I'll tell you, I became shameless about my sobriety. And I got smart feet. If you got smart feet, you're fortunate. Because when your mind tells you something, your feet will get you there anyway. That stuff's got to be non-negotiable. Going to meetings, helping others, working the staff, you know, reading the book, having a spiritual contract with somebody that's strongly needed a higher power and being there for that contract. And, uh, and getting here, which I'm going to finally get around to, getting here. Uh, in 87, I'd, I'd been to the hospital, been to the, been to, uh, you know, been to In Trouble, been to Treatment Center. In uh, 87, I left the car and, again, drinking all night. I was working in a bar in downtown Omaha, a perfect job. If you're an alcoholic, basically you know the security guards, so even after everything's closed up, they sit around and drink with you and do a few other things. Uh, anyway, we, uh, you know, got in the car, as usual, had a bad accident, and uh, arrested again. And uh, uh, about the same time I had a medical condition that caused me to go to the University of Nebraska Medical Center. And a doc up there said to me these words, June 1st, 1987. You're an alcoholic. We've got a trial program for your medical condition. And we're not going to have you be a part of it. I read the medical records. I know something because the psychologist did an intake on you. I know about your history. You know all the things you should be doing, and you're not doing them. We're not going to let you take part in them in the program we have for your medical condition, unless you're you are guaranteeing me you won't drink and drive. And that's it. And he got up to leave. For some reason, that day, in that guy's office, I knew he was telling me the truth. Many people had told me that before, but I absolutely knew that gentleman was telling me what well, was the truth of my life. And I knew that if I kept on, I was going to die. I didn't mind that so badly, but somebody else might go with me. This last accident I had, I ran into the van, slid my car. A few months ago in my law office, a gentleman came around and he said, you may not remember me. And I said, well, no sir, I don't. He said, well, I wanted wanted you to help me. He was uh, was mad and he said, but I pulled you out of the car on St. Mary's Avenue at 4 a.m. in 1987. He said, I'm an EMT worker and uh, And I have not forgotten you that night. I took you to the hospital. And I naturally replied, and I'm particularly glad you're here. What can I do for you? (laughs) um, Anyway, I knew a couple of things. One, Alcoholics Anonymous was something I'd been exposed to, and I started going to meetings. My probation officer encouraged it. And uh, and uh, I went up to the 48th Street Club in Omaha, Nebraska, almost every night. Didn't know where else to go. Met a woman who, who fortunately for me, came to me and reached out her hand and said, Can I help you? She called me Apple for a while and finally got my name squared <laughs> up and she knew I'd be it. She was my sponsor for a year. And uh, she did some important things for me. She told me what I had to say didn't really matter. She told me what was in the book was the truth and my opinion wasn't that important. And she encouraged me to do a fourth and fifth step which I did with her. She left town due to a divorce and some other issues and she's now a practicing physician returning to medical school. I have to tell this honor and I won't mention her name. But returning to medical school at 38 and uh, my husband and I was fortunate enough to travel through which practices and of course she picked up the telephone uh, after being introduced as cardiologist so and so she was critical in my early sobriety and she had that idea of a kindness for strangers. she ignored me at meetings and went straight to the newcomers when Chuck Chamberlain talks about you extending your hand to the person sitting by you. I don't know if you remember that. Where the guy comes into the meeting and Chamberlain sees him and he's pretty shaky and then Chamberlain's talking and you year later Chamberlain sees him again. And Chamberlain's kind of fishing for a compliment thinking, well, well, here's this guy back after he heard me a year ago. The guy's coming to get a, and receive the one-year cake at the meeting. And Chamberlain says, what brought you back? And the guy says, "I was shaking so bad that first night." The lady said, a "Mommy lit my cigarette," and I was grateful to her. And I returned the next evening. So what are we going to do for the newcomers? People did it for me, and I'll tell you what—I was physically tired. I, I didn't—I uh, was irreverent, inappropriate, uh, improperly dressed. Uh, I was dishonest, and people welcomed me back. I told you about my sponsor advised me I had to ride the bus, tell me I had to help other people. We went on 12-step calls. Uh, we went through a step study that she and her husband started. After she left, I took on uh, up with another woman uh, who was very critical and her spiritual practices were very important to her. She had a, a disease that was chronic that put her on the back. And what she taught me was sometimes activity and action are two different things. So remember that having time when you're quiet and peaceful is when you major something. You don't hear when you're full of action. But I can't tell you about how much I love the action. <laughs> I love being on the edge. And one of my friends in the yard a race car driver, which is something I went to school for. My husband got me signed up for race car driving. And my friends are uh, much more talented than I am, but anyway, we've gone to a race, and nothing like seeing that Christmas tree off, and you're right down the track, and I thought tonight how maybe there is a transference from from uh, uh, one edition to another, but I'll always be a thrill seeker, and I, I, can't, uh, I can't give up the fact that I want to live it as much as I can, and and uh, the through you know, that's what I would tell you. That's what my life's been about. Uh, living it, doing it every day, and trying to do it without harming anybody else. Um, I went back to school after I got sober. I was, as I told you, very uncertain whether or not I was capable of going to a professional education uh, through that process, and they let me in. Uh, and I completed three years of school and when I completed it I had to take an exam and after, for the exam you have to give them a, uh, an application. And my application was in a box about this big and everybody else's was in an envelope, okay? And I had to tell them where I've lived since I was 17. I had to tell them about every arrest that I would had and the disposition of every arrest. My brother, and I thank, uh, thank my lucky stars for him, went to the courthouse in Decatur, Alabama, and went through with the women who went to high school with me, and they dug out my arrest and the disposition of my arrest. I had to advise them about uh, what my life was like today. And what I said on that application was this. Uh, I cannot tell you about what I can predict about my future behavior. But I can tell you that I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, that I sponsor people and am sponsored, that I've been fortunate enough to be afforded the opportunity to be a treasurer of of a group, that I've been a GSR in a group, and that I've attended Area 41 meetings uh, in Carnegie, Nebraska, then now we have Area 41 in Grand Island, in Omaha, Uh, and that I have gone to district meetings. We my home group at that time was in District Seventeen. That I worked the steps of alcohol Alumnus and and, and will continue to do the best of my ability. And if you see fit to allow me to take this exam and potentially practice the profession, if I do suitably on it, uh, I can tell you that I was, I was hopefully transfer the integrity that I've been taught and tried to live the day in that profession. Now, they told me that it was unlikely I'd get to to take this exam. So I'd lined up a couple of my professors and we were planning to travel. And one thing was the capital in Nebraska. And they were going to argue on my behalf in front of the committee. All uh, right. And I, I got a call about two days before the exam was to take place. And they said we'd be pleased to let you sit for the exam. And I did. Now I have the opportunity to practice my profession. And in 1991, I went to the Board of Parties and Paroles in Alabama and ask if they might consider pardoning me. I, I'm, I'm telling you this because uh, because if you're out there with a felony conviction or two or three, that's a possibility for you. I wrote letters to all the members. i informed upon the people who had seen me in the newspapers when I grew up and asking if they might consider writing a letter on my behalf. Uh, and I sent uh, information to all of the board members about my my participation in school and Alcoholics Anonymous. and in 1991 I received a pardon from the state of Alabama for my pylon conduct. When you go on boat, and, uh, and truly I appreciate your applause but this is just one of the things you told me to go ahead and try and do. Uh, you know this is this is just moving forward in Uh but, but when you go on the boat that's the freedom you have. You don't have it if you're a felon. So that's that's one of the things I have the opportunity to do today. Now don't have that pardon to just get up in my law office. But I can tell you.
1: <laughs>
0: but I can tell you that I feel fortunate every day to have the opportunity to practice my profession. And then when people come to me with drug and alcohol problems, I know where they've been. You know, we're talking about a vital sixth sense in here. That that it's vital. And it is. And I believe we come with it and we expand on it. And I I know them. I know that language because we share that language of the heart. When my stepmother died in 1996, I could sit with her for hours and be quiet because she taught me how to. My father would pace up and down. He was eternally nervous because his wife was shining. All I did was massage his feet and hands for hours. She would tell me this to him and ask him to leave. He, he makes me nervous. She couldn't speak because at the end she lost her voice. But I knew that she, but but my my small ability to care for her, she appreciated it because we would talk in silence. We would communicate in silence. My mother died from drinking in 1994 and if you don't believe that that happens, it does. So don't think that you might not end up covered up or locked up if you don't get sobered up. And when my mother died, uh, I have often thought, I wish I had been a little different about the way I treated her before she died. But one thing I learned from the the great program of Illinois, is that you, you're not objective when it comes to a family member. And I had to seek out other members of Alcoholics Anonymous and ask them to go help my mother. She's not ready to get sober, and she didn't. But her, her past, you spiritual than mine. And I know today uh, that I have transmitted to her and do as often as I can my thoughts about how precious she was to me. Uh, and then I feel very fortunate that I got this chance when she didn't. Um, I'm married, which is a really a (laughs) significant if you knew me. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been married for ten years. And I want to bring up one thing about that in close. I have a a husband who uh, I consider to be quite a fine gentleman. Uh, We had some disagreements about things before we married, and you taught me that I had to be honest about those with him so that he knew where I stood. Otherwise, if I didn't, if I wasn't up front, the undertone might kill me later. Uh, I'd been engaged twice before, couldn't get married, uh, held a couple of those guys hostage, learned in Alcoholics Anonymous that you don't call people when they don't want to hear from you. You don't travel over to their house. You don't track them down. You don't follow them in your car. <laughs> my father said, what well, he's doing none of the business. So don't call him again. Don't drive by his house. Don't ask anybody about it. I learned that from you. I used to get on every train that ran through my mind, and I learned from you that I need to have your strength. I learned from you that there's a God that can relieve me from all the defects of character that I still experience. Gave up shoplifting, gave up some uh, serious problems when I first got in here. Still got some to work on. As I told you before, procrastination, punctuality, paying my bills on time. Uh, being kind and respectful in my household where you work alcoholics anonymous, not only on the outside. But uh, I I I'm blessed. It's been a kick. I'm going to close with one thing I was to believe. Oh, I got to tell you one more. I went to Scotland in 1997 with my father. who wanted nothing to do with me. Now we travel together. A gentleman came to get me at a hotel in Peebles, Scotland. It's, Peebles is miles from Edinburgh, not very far, but the road is very difficult. And this gentleman traveled to this- to get me an hour and a half. He was in a very small car and gasoline tops steel still. Uh probably three seventy-five a litre that day. He traveled to get me, uh, he was on the gold as they say, in Scotland, which means he was redundant welfare. I called down to the concierge and he said, Well I see the a gentleman down the 50 house and he'll be whistling. They were very confidential over there in Scotland. Can you give me a name or anything. We met this gentleman. We drove about an hour and a half into Edinburgh. Went to a meeting. And there were probably 15 Scots. And they all told their story to me because I was a, I was from the States and, and uh, just out of courtesy. we were there till probably 11.30. She drove me back an hour and a half. Uh, knowing that he had a little fun, so I offered him some pounds. And, uh, I said, Ernie, what can I do for you? He said, absolutely nothing, Lasky. But don't forget, phone before, not after. (laughs) And this is his card. Uh, He sent me the roundabout, which is the Scottish Grapevine, and I sent him the Grapevine, of course, our magazine. And uh, So Ernie K. from Scotland, I I send you that to let you know you're a world citizen now as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Wherever you go, you are welcome. You you have a seat. You are home. And you can't buy that. Let me close with this. I love it so much. Can you believe? I don't know if you've ever read it. This is from Anonymous, New York, New York. God's grace had overcome the death that was in me and instead made me a member of the society of the second chance. That's us. If this grace had been contingent on my righteousness or obedience or my goodness or my sacrifice or the acts of my will, it would never have come to me because I had none of these things going. It was an unearned favor to an unlikely prospect. And yet, as I pray, I should continue to grow in grace to only be through the love and service of this fellowship and to the power greater than myself that I today choose called to call God. Thanks for having me. I wish you Godspeed on your journey. <laughs>